0: This is Midday Magazine for Monday, June 12th. I'm Shelby Herbert. The Alaska Board of Education and Early Development will take public comment on a proposed regulation to prevent transgender girls from competing on high school girls' sports teams. At a meeting on the Kenai Peninsula Thursday, the board amended the proposed regulation to limit participation in girls' sports to only two people to only people who were assigned female at birth. The board passed a resolution in March supporting separate divisions for men and women and a third division for athletes who may identify as either gender and establishing an appeal process. Board chair James Fields said that the Alaska School Activities Association had asked the board for help making a decision. The policy is still pending a review by the Department of Law the board could vote to approve the policy change at their next meeting on July 26th. Currently, the Madanuska Susitna borough school district is the only district in the state that prohibits trans students from competing on teams that match their gender identity. A man who held a leadership position in a Ketchikan church is facing 14 felony charges, charges of sexual assault of a minor. As Reagan Miller reports, the man admitted his behavior to law enforcement. This story could be triggering for some listeners, as it contains details of sexual assault. But identifying details of the victim are intentionally left out, as KRBD's policy is to not identify victims of sexual assault.
1: 71-year-old Dwight Chris John of Ketchikan is being charged with first, second, and third degree sexual abuse of a minor and incest. Alaska State Troopers say John allegedly sexually abused a young family member when he visited the child's community on Prince of Wales Island or when the child came to visit him in Ketchikan. The victim, now a teenager, told their father that John had been sexually abusing them since the age of about nine. The father reported this to Alaska State Troopers. The father told troopers that the most recent incident had been during this past Thanksgiving holiday. In a forensic interview, the child told investigators that the abuse would often happen when other family members went out to eat or when John would read a bedtime story or was otherwise alone with the child. John corroborated nearly all of the claims during an interview with investigators. He said that the abuse began when the child was five or six. John also said that he did it because the victim wanted him to and, quote, it was all for the child and, quote, it wasn't for me. The charging documents say that John is a church leader but did not name the church, although Clover Pass Community Church's website includes a photo of a man named Chris John on their Board of Governors page. Charging documents say that Dwight Chris John is also known as Chris John. The church did not immediately respond to requests for comment left via phone and email. John told the child's father that he almost decided not to take a church leadership position because of the alleged abuse but he said he decided to because he felt God had forgiven him. A photo of the same man with the same name is listed online as a member of the Ketchikan Volunteer Rescue Squad's Board of Directors. A staff member also told KRBD that a Chris John recently resigned from their Board of Directors, but didn't want to comment further. Alaska state troopers were unavailable for comment, nor was the state's prosecuting attorney. An attorney for John is not listed in online court filings. John appeared in Ketchikan Superior Court on Wednesday and Judge Christian Pickrell set a $500,000 appearance bond with a 10% cash requirement and a $250,000 performance bond. His next court appearance is set for June 16th. In Ketchikan, I'm Reagan Miller.
0: Kodiak's annual Crab Festival turned 65 this year. The event kicked off just before Memorial Day weekend with a ceremonial pardoning of the crab. A traditional Russian Orthodox blessing of the fleet closes out the event. And in between, there's four days of food trucks, live music, and one big grand parade. And this year's parade was a soaker. Kirsten Dobrith was there and brings us the story. Alaska?
2: It didn't just rain on Kodiak's Crab Fest Parade, it poured. But the weather didn't dampen the mood. Are you guys excited? Super <laughs> excited. And it didn't stop spectators from coming out to line the parade route as a stream of floats, fire trucks, and marchers made their way down a half-mile stretch of Mill Bay Road, right outside downtown. Among those in attendance was Dolores Gregory and her 13-month-old son Lucas. It was his first time at the festival. Not even this rain was holding back Lucas's first crab fest. Nope, we, we have a chance to test out his rain suit, so it's perfect timing. <laughs> Not everyone was a fan of the weather.
3: That,
2: that was a, go go. a trailer full of kids celebrating Flores de Mayo or the May Flowers Festival for the local Filipino-American Association's float. Nick Basden and his 11-year-old son, Bo, also had different opinions on Saturday's rain. They were lined up at the parade start with members of Kodiak Island Racing Association, which had a small fleet of muscle cars, dirt bikes, and four-wheelers.
0: I mean, it's just typical Kodiak weather. We're good to go. you got to mean- have good rain gear to live here in Kodiak.
2: It's terrible.
0: It's Not terrible. <laughs>
2: Representative Mary Peltola marched through the rain with supporters in the parade. So did Little League teams, members of the Coast Guard, firefighters, and Alaska State Troopers, and members of the local teachers' union, which handed out books to kids along the parade route. The most colorful participant was Kodiak Pride's balloon-covered float, which blasted Beyonce songs as it drove by. Anthony Ponte designed the local LGBTQ advocacy group's float. He says they wanted to honor the Crab Fest tradition of bringing people together.
1: Our native land and native berries and flowers, so we did an assortment, and
3: arrangement of rainbow uh, flowers and berries.
2: It's more than a spectator sport for people watching the parade. Kids also get to stuff their pockets with candy and bead necklaces flung from the floats as they go by. You
3: guys need more candy!
2: Peggy Rawolf was collecting candy with her family and cheering on participants this year, but she's not used to being a spectator. She organized the event for 25 years. You know what? It's the
3: highlight of our community. It's just the community gets together and they
2: come out for this every year, and it's how can I sum it up? It's fun, it puts smiles on people's faces. She says that's a tradition that doesn't change, rain, or shine. In Kodiak, I'm Kirsten Dobrath.
0: A warming climate has scientists wanting to know, more than ever, what's living in Alaska's rivers and streams. Specifically, what species live in the anadromous freshwater streams where migratory fish return from saltwater to spawn? Biologists and others are hoping that a new phone app will encourage Alaskans to help map these fish habitats. Coast Alaska's Angela Denning reports
3: Alaska has over 46,000 miles of shoreline. than the rest of the country combined sandy beach in petersburg is one tiny sliver of it it's a popular park with a playground and shelters for picnics a creek cuts a shallow channel across the sand into frederick sound in late summer it fills with pink salmon heading into spawn away from the beach and a few steps into the park's tree line there is a tiny tributary of the creek that's where i meet eric castro a fish biologist with the U.S. Forest Service. This is a uh, an uncharted stream, as far as the Forest Service has on our records. Castro is here to use the new Fish Map app to catalog what's in the water. The app supplies a form that anyone can fill out to nominate fish they find. If approved, the fish will be added to the Alaska Nadromus Waters catalog. This tiny stream is not recognized in the federal database at all. The state's catalog lists it. But not all the species living here. Castro wants to add cutthroat trout to the state's list because he's seen them here before. So he's set up a few minnow traps. I figure we could, we could try this out
2: and, uh, and see what we get. Yeah. Okay.
3: <laughs> yeah, let's go find some fish. Cool. The Alaska Department of Fish and Game has categorized over 21,000 anadromous waterways since the 60s.
2: Uh, it's a massive data set.
3: Joe Gieffer manages the state's Anandromous Waters Catalog. Although the catalog includes all major systems in the state, Giefer says there is no way to cover all the smaller streams. He hopes the phone app will get others to document fish they see in streams while out in the field too.
2: There's a lot of water in Alaska. There's a lot of remote areas.
3: Geifer says the catalog data is used by local, state, and federal agencies and provides protections from possible development projects. So the more data that's added to the catalog, the better minnow traps like castros take permits but Geefer says documenting adult fish would be very useful too like those found spawning
2: there's probably spawning good spawning habitat all over the place But nobody's physically either, nobody's physically saw salmon spawning there, probably, you know, just because of the remote nature of a lot of these water bodies.
3: That's where local knowledge can help, says Aaron Poe with the Alaska Conservation Foundation. He coordinates the phone app, which is supported by a large partnership of federal, state, tribal, and nonprofit groups. They started testing the app last year and hope to get more users involved. Local folks really do know best where the anadromous fish
0: are, So whether that's indigenous knowledge that dates back for millennia or whether that's local knowledge from families that grew up in a region or some combination of both, um, those folks really know where the fish are.
3: Poe says there is increased interest in what fish are where because of climate change.
0: Essentially, we're having some of these anadromous fish, whether they're salmon or whitefish or other species that are starting to move into other areas
3: of the state. The Aleut community of St. Paul Island created the FishMap app through its indigenous Sentinels network, which runs about a dozen apps. Hannah Marie Garcia with the St. Paul tribe says they wanted to provide a useful tool to document ecosystem shifts. St. Paul is 300 miles offshore in the Bering Sea, so they also wanted to make sure it was usable in remote areas. Garcia says the app doesn't require internet.
0: If they don't have Wi-Fi or cell signal, it just stays on the device until they then come Come to a place. Maybe they're back in town, or you know, they're back from the fishing ground. or They're back from wherever they were hiking to go find that stream. When they finally have signal, they can then upload to
3: the database after the
0: fact. There he is.
3: Back at Sandy Beach Park, Castro pulls a minnow trap from a shaded pool underneath a log. Soon, two young girls push through the brush along the bank. We've been spotted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Hi. Hello. Hi Rosie. What are you doing? here. We're doing some minnow trapping. Look at this. So cool. we, we have
3: a coho is a smaller wow. one, and then a cutthroat is the bigger one right there. Cool. Yeah, so cool. these fish
2: right here are living in this, this water, in this little teeny stream. Cool. Crazy, huh? Yeah. yeah. So near to s- Sandy Beach. Mm-hmm.
3: Did you know that there were fish in this stream? No. Later, Castro uses the phone app to fill out a nomination form, including all kinds of information, location, weather, and details about the stream and fish. First, the nomination will be checked by Garcia's Indigenous Sentinels Network before going to the state for confirmation. That can take months. The state updates its catalog once a year. Last year, the app's first year, produced 13 nominations. The app advocates hope to receive thousands more in the future, There is an incentive, too. For people who take the time to fill out a nomination for a local stream, they'll receive $100. Reporting for Coast Alaska in Petersburg, I'm Angela Denning.
0: Rear Admiral Megan Dean now commands the U.S. Coast Guard in Alaska. And as far as anyone can remember, she's the first woman to do so. Dean was sworn in at a change-of-command ceremony in Juneau last Friday. After the ceremony, Dean said she'd spent a lot of her career in Florida, and she's anticipating different challenges here in Alaska. I think a lot of it up here is just obviously know the weather, and then uh, the and distance and time. Dean says she thinks it's important for other women in the Coast Guard to see someone like them in positions of leadership. But she reject, she rejects the idea that being a woman makes her more or less capable in this role i'm a Coast guard officer, not a female Coast guard officer. Um, I have had an incredible career been given lots of opportunities um, and um you know and and I, and I think that's because i've been competent in the job that i'm in. Last year, Admiral Linda Fagan became the commandant of the Coast Guard, the first woman to lead any branch of the U.S. military. The Coast Guard could not confirm on Friday that Dean is the first woman to lead the Coast Guard in Alaska, but a list going back to 1964 shows only men in the role. Coast Guard District 17 has its administrative offices in Juneau and runs all of Alaska's Coast Guard operations. Nearly 2,000 people work for District 17, and it patrols more than 47,000 miles of shoreline. Last year, the district conducted 521 search and rescues, saving 187 lives, according to Coast Guard data. Dean says that her Florida background means she's already familiar with working in an area with a lot of cruise ship tourism. When I came across the bridge from Douglas on Wednesday, I think it was, and I looked over and I'm like, that's five cruise ships over there. I think I had awareness of it, but it was pretty eye-opening. She said that as the cruise industry expands north in the state, so do risks of challenging evacuation and, re- and rescue operations. Dean is replacing Rear Admiral Nathan Moore, who has held the position since 2021. Her first mission is a trip to Kodiak, Cordova, and Kotzebue to meet more of the people who make up Coast Guard District 17. For KFSK News, I'm Shelby Herbert.